Well, it is certainly uh, great to see all of you today. And if you're a guest, my name's David, and I'm the pastor of the church. And I want to tell you, I really am glad you're here with us. And I hope you always feel welcome. Uh, and to a lot of you that may be fairly new, uh, today and next week, our church is offering a one-hour class that starts at 12.15. Uh, it goes for two weeks. It's not going to be very long. Lunch will be provided. Uh, it's called Level Up. And if you want to know more about what our church believes, and uh, what our belief is very simple, very very you know, traditional in the faith. Uh, if you want to know what it is to be a Baptist, because Baptist is new to some people, and even if you've been a Baptist all your life like me, sometimes I scratch my head and say, I wonder who we really are deep down inside. But uh, you come to Level Up. We'd love to have you. 12.15 uh, this week. We are in a series, as it says, Saul of Tarsus. Um, we know him oftentimes better as Paul, the apostle, but he was named Saul. And uh, he was from the city of Tarsus, and that's how people knew him. And nobody outside of Jesus himself has ever been more influential in the Christian faith than Saul. And what he suffered, what he endured in his life, is a testimony to his commitment to Jesus. And so we come, you know, for a couple of months, beginning a couple of weeks ago through the end of uh, October, to look at this man and his life and his faith and what he taught and what he wrote. We started a couple of weeks ago with calling, the calling of Paul to, to faith. And we saw that the story of Jesus is the most important story in all the world. And how his story impacts your story is the most important story in your world. Last week, we looked at the controversy that began in that early church and how Paul helped solve it and asked the question, um, what is required of me to be a follower of Jesus? Today we come to Acts 17, to a message that I've entitled Opportunity. Now, some of you have been around a while may realize a few years ago I preached from this very same passage because I preached a different series about Paul. He's that important. And whenever you come to a passage, the meaning of the passage never changes. Okay, The words, what they mean, what they signify, it's been the same since the day Luke wrote them. But in passages like this, which have so much depth to it, there's so much information there that how I present it and what we focus on can change. And so the last time, I was focused on the theology of Paul, but this time I want you to see an opportunity. And I want to ask you a very simple question. And the question is this, are we prepared to take advantage of the opportunities we have to share Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, when the opportunity comes around that you can share him, are you prepared? And listen, if you're not even a follower of Jesus yet, the thing that you need to see, are you willing to take advantage of the opportunity you have to trust Jesus? When the opportunity comes to follow him, are you ready to follow Christ? So we're going to begin the message uh, today talking about a few days to kill in Athens. Think about for a moment the coolest city you've ever been to or you could ever imagine going to. For me, it's simple. I love New Orleans especially the French Quarter. It's one of the favorite places for Debbie and I to go. We're trying to arrange another trip there. I've been there many times. I just, in fact, the Southern Baptist Convention is in New Orleans in, uh, in June. And so for the first time in about eight years, I'm going to the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. I never go. I never go. They say New Orleans, Orlando, or San Antonio, or Dallas, I go. And, and, and so I love, I love the culture because I was a history major. I love the architecture. I love, I love just the Mississippi River. It's fascinating, all the stories. And more than anything, I just love the food. Now, I don't drink, so that's just more money to spend on food. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, about the coolest place you could go to was Athens. I mean, Athens had it all. It, it was, it was a, a city just rich in history. A few hundred years earlier, I mean, it had been, been in Athens where the concepts of democracy began to develop. 
A few centuries earlier, you know, Athens was just a vibrant city. It, it was the home of religion. I mean, there was religion everywhere. I mean, everywhere you went, there were gods and goddesses. I mean, if you were in the great culture, anything you wanted to worship, anyone you wanted to worship, there was something there for you in Athens. It was the home of philosophy. Several hundred years earlier, Socrates was born there. Then his pupil, Aristotle, I mean, Plato was born there. And Plato's pupil, Aristotle, while not being born there, came there. I mean, those guys could think like nobody's business. In the fourth century, a year apart, two men were born, Epicurus and um, Zeno, the Stoic. And now, they, they didn't, weren't born in Athens, but they came to Athens at the same time. They died about five years apart in the third century, and they had these competing philosophies. In fact, I'll even mention them more in a minute. I mean, their influence of all these guys permeated that area. And Paul, Saul, who had come from the city of Tarsus, in itself a very rich and vibrant city, had a few days to kill there. You see, Paul had started off his second evangelistic journey wanting to go back to visit the cities and places he had been on his first. But the Holy Spirit shut that door and took him to Europe, to a place called Macedonia. He began in Philippi, had success there. And then he went all over to Thessalonica. He was doing all right there, but the Jews in Thessalonica hated Paul, so they began to persecute him. The, the, the sufferings, some of the sufferings mentioned in the bumper, happened there. And so he went off to Berea, just down the road. He was having success there after a short period of time. But the people in Thessalonica that persecuted him had so much hatred for him, they hounded him all the way to Berea. And so the believers there said, we got to get Paul out of here. And so they want to get Paul. They took him to the coast and they're taking him off to Athens. And Timothy and Silas are going to stay in Berea just a short time. So Paul's goal is to get to Corinth but he wants Timothy and Silas to go with him. So he's going to stay in Athens. And he's got a few days to kill in the coolest city in the world. And here's where we pick up in verse 16. Now Paul was waiting for them. That's Silas and Timothy at Athens. And his spirit was being provoked. The word provoked means anger. You've heard the phrase provoked to anger. It's just redundant. That's what it means. Provoked. It was provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, Paul, Paul's Jewish. Now, I know he's a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian. But he's Jewish, too. And the Jewish just never left. And to a Jew, you were strictly monotheistic. You believed in only one God. In monotheism, the belief in one God is completely foreign to the city of Athens. Because you got gods and goddesses everywhere. Now, here's the thing. As a monotheist, as a Jew, Paul knows, as a follower of Christ, Paul knows that none of the gods and goddesses that these people worship were real. They were all figments of their imagination and creativity. And he's a man who believes that you should worship no God but the one God, and you can have no idols created at all, either of God or anything else, and all he sees are idols. And he is ticked off. That's what it means. And you can even take it a step further, but I won't. In church. Verse, what's next? Verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God for the Gentiles. The word reasoning means to dialogue, have a discussion. Now, you know, the Jews in Thessalonica are in him out. Jews would do that. But if you're a Jew in Athens and, and there's nothing but pagans and you're a monotheist and here is Paul showing up, you're probably not going to worry about some minor differences like Jesus. They were just glad to have him, but they were discussing. And he would also do that with the, the God-fearing Gentiles that, that were hanging around the Jews too. Not only that, 
He went to the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. He, so he went out and hung around the marketplace. Now, a lot of people, you know, can remember a time when growing up, you live in a small town, you go down to the town square, that's where all the people hung out. Now, this generation, this, this group, a lot of you used to hang out in the mall, you know. And so, just think about, I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm 61, I just, I don't hang out anywhere anymore. But just think about where people hang, there was Paul. He was gone there. And he would be talking to them. And what we see in verse 18 is this. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Now, Epicurean come from, you know, Epicurus. The Stoic come from Zeno. And so they had some unique philosophies. And, and what they believed was very different. The Epicureans were materialistic. They were basically agnostic. They didn't really believe you could know anything about the gods or goddesses. They didn't even know if they existed. They were so distant and foreign. And their view of life was just to live life to the fullest, live for pleasure, enjoy life, because when you died, there was nothing left. There was no afterlife. This was it. Well, the Stoics were somewhat different. They believed in the gods and goddesses. And they, was, they believed there was a divine force behind all of them that they called Lakos, the reasoning force. And the Lagos was in every living thing. In fact, they were pantheists. The pantheist believes that deity or something divine is in every living thing, human, animal, vegetable, if it lives, it has it. And so that, that's what they believed. And they believed your primary duty was responsibility to honor. And they believed you could know things to how to live your life and live this way. And they certainly believed that after life, your soul lived on. So they had different philosophies. And Paul was there. Dealing with them. Now, some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? The word idle babbler <laughs> comes from a word that means seed thrower. It was the idea of someone who would go and steal your seed and throw it in his field. These were people who they would think would steal philosophies and ideas. They hadn't have an original thought and they would spew it out. Others said he seems to be pre a proclaimer of strange deities. Strange to them. Because, here's, here's the reason for that. Here's the reason for all of their thoughts. He was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. Now, here Paul is in Athens preaching Jesus. Not only Jesus, specifically the resurrection. Why? Because Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you need to understand the concept of resurrection was completely foreign to them and even somewhat insulting. They believed when your body died, it decayed. Some believed your soul lived on. Others didn't. But nobody in the Greek world, nobody in Athens, except the Jews, would believe in resurrection. And he was preaching that. And to them, this was all so very strange. Now, verse 19 through 21 says that they invited him to come to a group known as the Areopagus or Areopagus. Depends on how you pronounce your Greek. There's different ways to pronounce words. Now, this is much like a church is both a place and a group of people. The Areopagus is both a place and a group of people. Now, in the old days, they were the group of people that kind of ruled Athens. But when the Romans came along, the Romans said, listen, listen Athens, we like you. Got a cool culture, good history. You pay your taxes to us. You don't cause any problem, problems. You can rule yourself. But that little group don't make decisions for the city. You can make decisions about all your little thoughts and philosophies and religions, but that's it. So this was kind of a group of what they would call elitist. Now, to me, you know, I think of elitist, I think of arrogant, pompous, went back. That was them. <laughs> but they were the experts in religion, in philosophy, in all that stuff. And if you had an idea, you had to clear it through them. And so they, they came, and they, they brought Paul before them. And then what we see 
beginning in verse 22 through 31, is Paul basically giving his account or a message to them. Now, Luke summarizes this message. And he summarizes it in such a way as he just gives us a quick account. Now, we can read this in a few minutes. Now, Paul never spoke for just a few minutes. He was noted for being a long-winded preacher. He was an old-school Southern Baptist who would preach well past 30 minutes, but he didn't have four worship services he had to get in inside about four and a half hours, so he could do that, you know. And so he would go on and on. So Luke just summarizes. And this is a very detailed account. It's really, in fact, when I preached a few years ago, this is what I preached from. And so, to realize what's happening is Paul becomes before these men. He's preaching to them these, these concepts, these ideas that he has. Understand this about Paul. Paul is a brilliant man in his own right. They don't see Paul as brilliant, but he is. And you'll see even more of this in a few minutes. Paul was at Jewish through and through. He was a follower of Jesus, but he was Jewish. So he was a monotheist. He had uh, been born in Tarsus, which was a great academic city. I told you that a few weeks back. He was brilliant. He understood the Greco-Roman culture. He was Hellenized. He understood Greek language, culture, religion. He knew their religion. He understood the Roman world. Because he was a follower of Jesus, he obviously understood what it meant to be a faith. He understood the Jewish scriptures and how they related to Jesus. Remember, they had no New Testament yet. They hadn't written it. And he was a guy about to encounter a culture. And here's the thing. And in doing so, Paul never embraced the culture he encountered. He never accepted what they believed, but he never was critical of it or harsh either. He didn't attack them. Attacking the culture will never give you a shot at it. You may feel good about yourself. You can pat yourself on the back and feel morally superior, but you ain't ever going to reach it. Verse 22 says this, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. You got religion everywhere. And this wasn't just idle flattery. He was saying, you're religious. It was a sign of respect. You are absolutely that. But we go on and see in verse 23 this. For while I was passing through, get this, and examining the objects of your worship. Notice, he didn't say, as I was walking through and admiring what you have. Nor did he say, as I was passing through and seeing the gods and goddesses. He says, I examined, I looked at the objects that you worship. You don't worship a god. You don't worship deity. You worship things you have made with your own hands. And the things that you made with your own hands, they represent things that you made with your imagination. So he didn't give them any credit for worshiping. But he said, I see all this stuff. What you got? I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown god. The word unknown means agnostic, to the god you don't know. Now, we know from archaeology and other accounts that a lot of the cities, the major cities, who would have multiple places to worship multiple different types of gods, would oftentimes have an altar to the god that was unknown. And it can mean one of two things. It could mean that there's a god, we don't know who he is or who she is, but we know you're out there. Or it could mean we know this, there's a god here, but we don't know anything about them. Either way, they were ignorant. That's what it means. There's a God. You're ignorant about this God. This is so cool. And this is the brilliance of Paul. And this slides by so easily. What Paul says next is absolutely brilliant. And it sets up the entire discussion before this group of elitists. He says, therefore, with all this in mind, what you worship in ignorance. The word unknown means ignorance. This is ignorance. Agnostic. Same thing. What you are ignorantly worshiping, this I proclaim to you. The God 
you know nothing about, I know all about him. And then he begins to talk about this God in a uniquely Christian way with ties to the Jewish faith, but uniquely Christian way. And he talks about this God in such a way as it is the exact opposite of everything they believe. He talks about the God as being creator. They didn't believe the God's created. The gods weren't eternal. They didn't always exist. They were immortal. They would live on. But all their deities were created. Somebody actually created them in their mind. That's where they were created. They believed in a force behind everything, but they didn't have a concept of one who spoke and the world came into existence. This is the creator who made everything. Not only that, he spoke of God as being the one who reveals himself. This God reveals himself so you can know him. Their gods were oftentimes distant. And they may visit him from time to time for reasons, but they knew very little about their gods. In fact, worship was a way of manipulating the gods. Our worship is a way of knowing our God and honoring and glorifying him. And to the Epicureans, he said, the God you think that is far away is near us, is our father. To the Stoics, he thought that the God was in every little thing that existed. He said, that God, our God, is far away from us. He was the ruler. He was the father. He was the judge. And in verse 30, he says this, Therefore, having looked, overlooked the times of ignorance. In other words, having let all your ignorance slide by, God is now at this point in time declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Now, the word repent means to have a change of direction. And the Greeks knew that. But they didn't use the concept of repentance in their religion. You didn't repent from one religion to go to another, from one God to go to another. And the idea that morally they would ever have to repent was really kind of a foreign concept. And so what Paul is saying is this God who you don't know, who I know, but you don't know, that God, he demands that you repent. And you can be sure, it's not in the summation, but you can be sure what Paul said, you got to turn away from your gods and goddesses. And you got to turn to this God. And here's why. Verse 31, because... He has fixed or fastened or declared there's a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. They didn't think of the gods and goddesses as judging that way. Paul says he's going to judge in righteousness by a moral standard, by a standard that is his. He'll do it through a man whom he has appointed, through one he has set aside. Now, Paul has already talked about this man. He's talked about this man, Jesus. He says he's furnished proof to all of them. The word proof means faith. Trusting. There's evidence to all them by what? Raising him from the dead. And notice what Paul does. He gets it back to the resurrection. It always comes back to the resurrection. Paul said, God's going to judge you based on a man he set aside whom he has raised from the dead. Now, what I find fascinating sometimes is that when people look at this passage today, people who consider themselves scholars, whatever that means, are really smart about it. They always say, you know, Paul never actually preached about Jesus and all that. And I find that Absurd, because Luke just tells us a few verses earlier, the whole reason they brought him over is because he preached about Jesus and the resurrection. Luke, in this summary, doesn't mention that because Luke thought that scholars today were smarter than they really are. He didn't realize they were so dumb that they couldn't figure out he really was preaching about Jesus. What did Paul give him? Jesus. And that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 32 says this now. When they heard the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer and mock him. But others said, mm, we'd like to hear you again concerning this. We want to discuss this and bring you back. By the way, there's no evidence they ever did this. 
Notice what it says next, verse 33. So Paul went from their midst. He left them. And he never came back, according to the scriptures. But some men joined him and believed. Some had faith, among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite. In other words, one of the people, one of the people, the Areopagus, believed. One of those scholars believed. And a woman named Damaris, she was probably well-known, and others with them. In other words, a handful of people came to faith. And that's it. Sometimes it's said that Paul has failed in his, his mission there. He never started a church there. But Paul, we don't know he didn't start a church. But besides that, that wasn't Paul's concern. He didn't go there. Paul was just killing a few days there, man. Paul was heading to Corinth. When Timothy and Silas came back, you know what Paul said? Hey, guys, it's time to go. Paul didn't say, hey, hang on a second. I want to spend more time in Athens just in case those guys call me back. No, he had the shot. And Paul took off. Understand this. This is so important. You've got to get this. Paul's success in Athens is not based on the number of people who believed, but on his taking advantage of a singular opportunity to share Jesus. He had no control over who believed. He had zero. But he was given an opportunity. And at that singular opportunity, he took advantage. He took advantage in the synagogue, in the marketplace. And when he went before the Areopagus, he took advantage of that. It was an amazing thing what Paul did. And in the process, Paul never, ever compromised what he believed. With that in mind, understand this. And this is what you need to get. As we talk about and wrap up this part about a few days to kill in Athens, Paul in Athens exemplifies what it means to engage the culture but not to embrace the culture. Talk about this all the time. Can't embrace the culture. Can't open your arms and say, oh, we love you, culture. But you have to engage it. And Paul exemplifies exactly what that means. With this in mind, I want to move on to the second thing I want to talk to you about today, which is this, meeting people where they are. That's what Paul did. He met them where they were. He went to the synagogue. There were people. He went to the marketplace. There were people. He went to the Mars Hill, Areopagus, same thing. There were people, and he shared with them. And here's the amazing thing. Paul never compromised the gospel, but he took their language, he took their terminology, he took their religion, he took their philosophy, he even took some of their poets, which he quotes between verse 24 and 29, and he used them to help them in their culture learn about Jesus. Because they, in their culture, didn't know about Christ. They were shielded from Jesus. In fact, here's what I want you to see. People are trapped in a culture that shields them from Jesus to this day. They're trapped in a culture that shields them from Jesus. Our culture doesn't have much to do with Jesus. Now, I didn't grow, I didn't grow up that way. Some of you around my age, even if you're, you know, 40 or so on, and we grew up in a culture where Jesus was engaged. I remember going to school and in the morning saying the Lord's Prayer. You can't do that today. Now, I know people think, well, if we just said the Lord's Prayer and had the Ten Commandments, schools would be okay. That's not true, by the way. That's not a true, that, that's not reality. But that was the culture back then. Now our culture kind of misleads. And, 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 and our culture will take Jesus and pervert and twist him. Try to leverage him to get things that clearly Jesus would never support. I saw it again this week. I told you last Sunday, I, about three times a week before I've seen people doing that. They do it in time, all the time in pol politics do it. Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, they all do it. One of them this week was trying to leverage Jesus. And trying to get him to say, look, Jesus would support my viewpoint when clearly he wouldn't. I mean, do it all the time. Why? Because they're a culture that's corrupt. They pervert and twist Jesus. Even churches today, and I've shared this, are opening their arms up and embracing the culture and changing the faith because they want to be relevant to the culture, which will never work. We have a culture that proclaims to be tolerant and inclusive, and it is of everything but Jesus. 
And because of that, today, to many people, Jesus is an unknown God. You realize that, don't you? That to many, Jesus is an unknown God. Jesus is an exclamation or a profanity. That's all he is. This includes people you know, maybe people you work with. You work at out the university, guarantee there are people there. Work for the government, guarantee there are people there. School districts, even maybe in a small business, Jesus is an unknown God. It may be your favorite restaurant, your favorite waiter or waitress is unknown. Jesus doesn't know. She doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. Maybe with the person who cuts your hair. A lot of you go somewhere to get your hair. Obviously, some of you people don't go anywhere to get your hair cut. I can tell that. I actually still have a hair stylist. She styles my hair about once every month because it looks a little bad if she doesn't. So I'm really proud that I can still get a haircut. Hair singular, by the way, sometimes. <laughs> so here's the thing. People aren't coming to Jesus on their own. So let me go back and ask you the question I started off with. Are you prepared to take advantage of the opportunities you have to share the story of Jesus? If it's the most important story in the world. So let me share with you three things to help you prepare than a wrap-up statement to go with that. First of all, be fluent in the story of Jesus. Be fluent in that story. You know where you find the story of Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Be fluent in those four books of the New Testament. I started this year off going through the Gospel of Mark. took four months. I want you to be fluent in that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to read those four Gospels every year at some point. Start off, one, start off each one for the first of a quarter. January starts a quarter. Read Matthew. April, read Mark. In July, read Luke. In um, October, read John. Just be fluent in that. And especially the resurrection, because that's what matters most. Listen, people who don't know Jesus, they don't care about your doctrinal beliefs. They don't care if you're a Calvinist or not a Calvinist. I don't care. Who cares about that? That's just a waste of time. They don't care about whether you think Jesus' millennial reign is this, that, or the other. They don't care about that. What they need, what they really need is the story of the resurrection. And when I share Jesus with people, that's what I do. I'll talk about who he is. I'll talk about his birth. I'll talk about things he did, but ultimately I'm getting to that resurrection because they need to believe the resurrection. Be fluent in the story of Jesus. Second, be current on the influence of the culture. I realize I don't really want to know all this stuff about the culture. I get tired of it. I just soon ignore it. But here's the thing. I pastor a church where in the course of a month, several thousand people will walk through the doors of our church. And a lot of them, a lot of you, were impacted by the culture. Every Wednesday and every Sunday, through the doors of Wombaland, through the doors of Upstreet, through the doors of the youth. Hundreds of people, kids, students, whose everyday life is impacted by the culture comes through there. So let me tell you something. I need to know about the culture. And if you're going to reach people in the culture, you do too. You don't learn about the culture so you can open your arms up and embrace it. You're not there to argue and fight with it, but you need to encounter it. The third thing I'll share with you is this. Be willing to encounter, engage, and walk away. Be willing to encounter people, engage them, and walk away. Encounter them, engage them with the gospel. And if you have to, walk away. At some point, Paul walked away. Paul, Paul didn't just keep hanging in Athens, hoping they'd call him back. He said, guys, we got to go. He gave them this shot. If they believed, they believed. I mean, he probably prayed for them. He, he was earnest. Listen, I'm not being flippant about it. At some point, there are other people who need to hear the story of Jesus. If the people I'm sharing it with, I'll give them an opportunity. I'm not going to argue with someone who doesn't want to believe. I'm not going to argue with them about it. What, what does it good do if I win an argument? I don't care. A few years ago, I met up with a girl I went to high school with. She and her husband, they were, um, they were atheists. They are atheists. I think she's really more of an agnostic. 
And, and I just said, Lord, I'll, I'll meet with them, visit, have a good time. And if she wants to ask questions, I'll answer. And sure enough, she started asking questions. So I started talking to her. But her husband was so anti-Jesus. I mean, he was anti-Christ, not the anti-Christ. <laughs> that was the cook who couldn't figure out how to cook that steak. But, <laughs> and at some point, I said, I'm not arguing with you. I didn't say that. I said, oh, whatever. And I just stopped. And then we were, I just didn't want to argue. It wasn't going to do any good. So after it was over, I had, we were outside. I had just a minute with her. And I said, look, here's the deal. I encourage you, just read the Gospel of John. Just read the Gospel of John. And you know that I'll pray for you. And if you ever have a, have a, ever have a question, pick up the phone and call me. And I walked away. Listen, I, want, I, I still pray for her every week to come to Jesus. I'm a phone call away. But at some point, you walk away. So understand this. Let me sum it up this way. Success is in taking advantage of the opportunity. I have no say in how many of you come to Jesus. All I can control is the opportunity I take today to share that with you. Success is in the opportunity. So go be prepared for that. You know, Paul walked away from Athens. A handful of people believed. But before he got there, none of those people believed. I'd say he was pretty successful. But success ultimately is measured in the one thing that Paul did. He took advantage of the opportunity today. Some of you who are followers of Jesus, you're going to have opportunities. Are you prepared? You need to make a commitment to be fluent in the story of Jesus. For crying out loud, the most important thing you can read is the Gospels of Jesus. Be fluent in the story of Jesus. Make that commitment today. And make a commitment that you're going to try to understand the culture. Then make the commitment that you will engage people. Not argue with them. And engage them. And at some point, if they believe, you celebrate it. If they don't, find someone else. Make a commitment to the opportunity that comes your way. Some of you are not followers of Jesus. And so I would share this with you. The opportunity to follow Jesus is today. You have that opportunity. So I invite you to make the commitment to take advantage of the opportunity you have to follow Christ. In a moment, some of us will be standing here. Ladies, if you would prefer to talk to a woman or pray with a woman, we we'll, we'll should have at least one other lady up here. And so here's the thing. If you want to join our church, join our church. If you want us to pray for you and your struggles, we'll do that. And if you want to give your life to Christ, you can come. If you want us to pray for you in any capacity or talk to you, do that. But here's the thing. Walk out this door today understanding this. You need to be ready to take advantage of the opportunity to share Jesus. So, Father, the story of Paul is such a beautiful story. And his struggles and what he went through, it's amazing that he endured so much for Jesus. And so that people like me could hear the story of Jesus. Help us to be committed to take advantage of every opportunity. And, Father, one of those opportunities is today. And there are people here today who need to trust Jesus so whatever it is that we need to do, wherever you need to move us, guide us, wherever we need to go, Father, one day we're all going to have some time to kill when someone's going to need Jesus. And let us be ready. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? And you come.